But uh, that'll, be, that'll be starting up again on uh, next Sunday. Okay, Exodus 32. Exodus 32. How about the how about the Bible verse lottery for this morning? That was <laughs> that was all God's fault. I was had every intention of being on my but well, I was on my best behavior. Just not everyone would agree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right. Exodus 32, uh, verse one through six. We've covered. Uh, quite sufficiently, I trust. Start at verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down. For thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it. And have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Father, please help us tonight to get the truth of these matters deep, 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 deep down in our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first of all, in verse 7 and 8, we've got to be real careful because we do want to rightly divide the word of truth and, and we do want to be dispensationally correct and we don't want to make the great error of ever confounding the New Testament church with Old Testament Israel. And there are many things where, where God's dealings with, with both of those groups are identical, but there are also many places where they're quite different. Now, we know, we know, as saved people, that the Lord has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, Lo, I am with thee always, even unto the end of the world. He's given us His Holy Spirit. We're sealed to the day of redemption. We know that nothing should separate us from the love of, uh, of God, which in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we, we know all of that. But it's also a fact, it's an absolute fact, that while God never permanently severed His ties with the nation of Israel... He did certainly sever his communion with them and his fellowship with them because of their idolatry. There are long seasons, centuries long seasons, where because they would not walk in his ways and would not walk according to his statutes, God treated them and dealt with them just as he did the heathen nations and just as he did the Gentiles. Now it's very interesting how the people were so wrong at the foot of the mountain when they said, Moses brought us out of the land of Egypt, 
and didn't give God any credit for it at all. But when God saw them round about the golden calf and worshiping that idol, God said to Moses, they're your people. You brought them out of Egypt, you go down there and take care of them. I've had all I can take of them. And so the Lord certainly did, during the times of the judges, at the close of the book of Kings and Chronicles, again at the close of the book of Malachi, in 70 A.D., after the ascension of Jesus Christ, in a, in a dispersion that's lasted to this very day, God has certainly divorced Himself from the nation of Israel. But He will just as certainly renew those vows with the remnant of Israel in the latter days. And we'll talk about all that this, this summer. We said the book of Micah. We can't go into that now. And so... Rather than presume upon the mercy of God and say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I've got eternal security, God would never cast me away, God would never send me into hell and so forth, and that's all well and good, but you might have another 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years to live on this earth, and while God will never permanently forsake His own, there certainly will be seasons of time when God will refuse to participate with and to company with those who are grossly and blatantly abusing His grace and His mercy. And we'll see that in just a minute from, from the New Testament. Notice here in verse number verse number 7, The Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people. And not, not, I, I, we couldn't technically say they belong to Moses or God disowned them. Moses is one of them. They, they are one with Moses. Moses is one with them. So he said, go get down to your people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, <laughs> have corrupted themselves. Now that's important. Satan didn't do it. All the years they spent in Egypt didn't do it. Aaron didn't do it. They corrupted themselves. Now, we have an adversary called the devil, but he cannot corrupt anyone who does not want to be corrupted. We live in a world that's full of all kinds of wickedness, but the world cannot corrupt anyone that does not want to be corrupted. There might be a bad apple in your youth group. There might be a, a, a bad man that, that fills the pulpit uh, at, at, of a church that you attend uh, for, for a time but that, that is no reason for anyone to be corrupt. And if we ever find ourselves walking in, in ways that are displeasing to the Lord or abominable to the Lord, you won't be able to blame the school that you went to or the, or the denomination that your church was a part of or the president of your, of your nation and laws that he passes. Egypt did not corrupt the people, they corrupted themselves. Satan did not corrupt the people, they corrupted themselves. And if you decide to live a corrupt life, you can point the finger at whoever you want to, but it will be pointed the wrong way unless it's pointed at yourself. People corrupted themselves. Verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And remember now from 1 Corinthians 10... This is for our admonition. This is for my learning. This is for your learning. We may turn aside quickly out of the way. If that heart is tending in the wrong direction, it can, it can get there sooner than you thought it would. 
quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Now, this is interesting. Moses goes up on the mountain, meets with God, comes down in Exodus 20, tells them what God said, goes back up on the mountain to get the, the laws of God written on tables of stone. So, so far they haven't read it, they've just heard it from the preacher, but the Bible says God commanded it, the way which I commanded them. And so they weren't, um, they weren't permitted to decide what they thought was right or how they felt they should worship or what, what they considered acceptable conduct and behavior. God had commanded them. And so, you say, what does the Bible mean about corrupting themselves? What does the Bible mean about turning aside out of the way? When you look at that Bible and the Bible says do and you say I won't. When you look at that Bible and the Bible says don't and you say I will. That is an act of self-corruption. That is an act of turning aside out of the way. And so, uh, it's not up to, uh, to each of us to decide how we want to serve God and how we want to worship God and how we feel God would have us to live. He has commanded us. He's spoken. He's written it down. And, and we're not to, not to corrupt ourselves by disobeying this uh, word of God. And so he said, uh, they have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. Now, that's pretty important, boys and girls. You better watch out, and you better not cry, and you better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because God sees you when you're sleeping, and He knows when you're awake. And nobody had to, had to tattletale on the children of Israel down there at the foot of the mountain. God said, I see what they're doing. I know what they're up to. How many times did Jesus just bring a strange and troubled silence to a crowd of people as someone thought something and Jesus turned and said, well, I'm glad you brought that up. And he answered their thoughts. Wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) Preachers up preaching and you think, well, I don't agree with that at all. So, well, I don't care if you agree with it or not. Look right at you. Now, sometimes that happens, but it's purely by accident. But, but Jesus, I mean, he, the Bible said, knowing their thoughts. Remember? And he'd turn and, and he'd say, well, why, why do you reason that in your heart? Right, right. Well, why did you think that? And so down comes, God sends Moses down. He said, he said, I know what they're doing. Now, you don't know what they're doing, but I know what they're doing. And, and, and he tells the whole thing out. And so you just need to understand that uh, you can't unfriend God. He reads everything you post. And you can't block God from looking at your emails. He sees them all. And you can go off in a secret place and whisper into the phone. But God's listening. There are places the NSA can't reach, but God can. And you look around, there's places the government still doesn't have cameras, but God can see you. And so we just need to, need to understand that all, it was Scripture said, all things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You don't have to deal with the government. You don't have to deal with the pastor. You might not even have to deal with mom and dad or the school principal. But you got to deal with God. And if you don't want to deal with Him, He's going to deal with you. 
And so he saw what they were doing, and he, he had an intention to, to do something about it. This is verse number 9. Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it is a stiff-necked people. You know, I just need you to humble yourself. Why? You know, you just need to repent. Why? What's wrong with it? Who said? Stiff-necked. You know what the Lord said? They won't bow themselves before me. They won't turn from their iniquity. They won't, they won't let me mold and make and shape their heart the way I want it to go. Man, I tell you, just, uh, we, we've all got that in us. That's why we're dealing with this. We've all got it in us. But I'm telling you, every single one, you don't believe it? You say, oh, my, my sweet little child, my precious little boy, my wonderful little girl, uh, eat that. Sit down. Just what neck? Just we just bow up. We're proud. We're unbowed. We're unbroken. Man, you get up here preaching. You get on something. You just fold those arms and stiffen that neck. Man, that chin comes out. That poochy lip comes out. Shut those ears down. What's bad is when the, when the preacher's really preaching something that bugs you, you try not to listen, but you, but you have to. I'm not listening. Oh, and I really hated that. And I'm not listening. And if you say that again, I'm never coming back. And I'm not listening. But you are listening. But with a stiff neck, hard heart, teenagers, man, it's like, it's like uh, the flesh, the, the, the that old, uh, sin nature just comes in, performs an operation, just fuses all the all the joints and vertebrae in that neck, just makes it like a like a wrought iron. And I'm telling you, God wants a humble heart, a bowed head, soft and 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 workable in the hands of the Holy Ghost. Lord, so this is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. In my wrath, that's the God of the Bible. My wrath. He's got wrath. He's got wrath. Robert Schuller, I hope he got saved. Uh, last sermons I read and quote, quotes I read from him, he wasn't saved. That was just a few years ago. I hope he got saved. You know, you know who I'm talking about. Crystal, crystal Palace guy, Crystal Cathedral guy, whatever his name is. Uh, he, he knows now. Look, I don't know if he's in heaven or hell. I hope he's in heaven. I hope he's, I don't, I don't wish him a place in hell. But wherever he is, he knows now there's a God of wrath and he should have talked about that too. He knows now that there really is something called sin and God really does hate it. And, and wherever he is now, he's wishing he'd said more about that. And so, so God said, my wrath, my wrath may wax hot. Now that's really interesting contrast, isn't it? Because they took gold and melted it down. They, 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 they caused that gold to wax hot and they turned it into something that would never condemn them. And the true God, it caused His wrath to wax hot and they're about to deal with someone who can and will condemn them. And that explains exactly why they wanted that that. That dead cow made out of metal instead of real God. He said that my wrath may wax hot against thy people. And if you think God's not against people, you just haven't read the Bible. 
well, you know, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Well, careful how you say that, because that's, that's really not a balanced view of the Scripture. He does love the sinner. God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet uh, sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Who served. But if you, think, if you think God loving the sinner means you can live a reprobate life and deny Christ and end up in heaven, you're kidding yourself. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. The wrath of God abideth on him. Not on what he did on him. Not on what she did on her. It's Bible, John 3.36, look it up. Well, you know, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. The Bible says God hates him that soweth discord among the brethren. You know, that's a person. The Bible says God hates all workers of iniquity. So, so be careful now. God is love, but he's not a pervert. A God all love is a God unjust. A God all wrath would be, would be a, a, a wrong, a, that wouldn't be God. And so, so the Lord says, my wrath may wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. That, that, that's Moses. Now, he says in, look at verse 10. My wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. This might be Next to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness when he met Satan, this might be the greatest offer that was ever made to a man on this earth. Now salvation, that's, that's, we're talking about heaven. Right here, this, this on earth. Did you know that all the news stories in the last 50 years could have been talking about the nation of Moses? Do you know every preacher that taught through the Old Testament or compared the Old Testament, the New and the New to the Old, could have been talking about the, the Mosaic Covenant and talking about the land that God promised to Moses and to his children? Look, look, look what God's about to do. He's about to wipe out Abraham's children. He's about to take Isaac's seed and, and Jacob's children. And he's about to take them all right off the face of the earth and start all over again with Moses. There wouldn't be a people of Abraham. There wouldn't be a nation of Israel. There wouldn't be Jews. Judah would be gone. Reuben, Gad, Manasseh. All gone completely. It'd be when, when, look, when Noah stepped off the ark and God started the human race with Noah, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees and God started the chosen race within the, the nations with Abraham, God's just going to erase that Abraham part and put Moses there in its place. And all that you read in the Old Testament about the sons of Abraham would instead be the sons of Moses. That's what, that's what God is, that's what he, God's going to do. And Moses, with that opportunity offered him by God, stepped back and said, Lord, that's going to reflect badly on your ability to keep your promises. How about that? 
He said, Lord, all these people, the ones in front of us at Jericho and the ones behind us in Egypt and and the words spreading through all the earth, Lord, they know that you brought the Hebrews out of Egypt. And God, if you let them all die out here, you kill them all out here, don't take them in the wilderness, your name's mud. All over the earth, people say, you're the God couldn't keep his promises. You're the God that couldn't finish the job. You're the God that, that, that didn't come through. You know what Moses is doing? He is putting literally the opportunity, not just of a lifetime, the opportunity of every lifetime in second place. And putting the honor of the name of his God in first place. Now you compare that to what's going on at the foot of the mountain. You compare that with with what goes on in my life and your life. Now, come on, we're we're talking about victorious Christian living. Here's what what I want to ask myself. This is what I want want you to ask yourself. Do we make decisions that way? What kind of education am I going to get? Well, how will it reflect on the name of God? Amen. Who am I going to marry? Well, how will it reflect on the name of God? Amen. Where am I going to live? What kind of career am I going to have? Well, how will it reflect on the name of God? Yeah. Moses, look, basically God's offering him the opportunity to be the absolute most important person in history Short of Jesus Christ. Come on, you're a New Testament Christian. Galatians, you know what Galatians says? The father of all of us who believe is Abraham. Romans says we're all saved like Abraham. In the millennial kingdom, the head of the nations with a king sitting on the throne at Jerusalem are the people that came from Abraham. And the land that flows with milk and honey is the land that God gave to Abraham. Every one of those places could read, would have read Moses. But Moses said, Lord, if I let you do that for me, it's going to hurt your good name among the people of this world. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you and God's not asking you to give up anything. There's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with marriage. There's nothing wrong with building a nice home. There's nothing wrong with moving to a place of your dreams. There's nothing wrong with taking an advancement in your job or changing careers. There's nothing wrong with any of that. As long as God's name isn't harmed. And may the Lord help us. To not just jump at opportunities and not just reach for what we want and not just be thankful that there's an open door. God just opened this door. Well, you know, I just don't, you know, if it's not, if it's not good, I don't know. I just, you know, if God opens the door, surely He wants me to go through it. God just opened this door. Well, you know, I just want to be in the center of God's will. This is God's will. Right now, this is God's will. God said, I, I don't think he's, (laughs) God said, I am going to destroy those people because they're idolaters. And I am going to start over with you. That's God's will. And and Moses said, you know what? Right now, I am, I'm in the center of God's will. In fact, I am God's will. 
But God, there's something I want you to consider. If you do this for me, it will cause people to speak evil of you. Would you let me take a pass on it? That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Now, here's the, here's the lesson for tonight that was really a blessing to my heart. There's a word here. Verse number 10. This is God speaking to Moses. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. You know, the Bible says, your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour. Can is ability. May is permission. Satan can devour you, but it's a may situation, seeking whom he may devour. Now look, this is incredible. Here's God. He's furious. His, his wrath, he's got a plan. He's going to wipe the people out. And here are the people, and they deserve it. And Moses stands right here between God and the people and says, God, don't do it. Don't do it. And God says to Moses, get out of my way. Get out of my way. And Moses said, God, I'm not moving. Don't do it. Your good name is at stake. And God says to, Mo- God says to Moses, let me alone. You have got to move so I can do what I want to do. And Moses stood right there and said, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Does anybody here believe what we just read is true, that it really happened? Well, then what does that say to you about prayer? What does that say to you about going to God in prayer on behalf of your children and your grandchildren and your parents and your loved ones and your church and your nation? What does that say? The people aren't right. They're not right. They deserve whatever God would give them. And God would be absolutely just to give them what they deserved. And Moses, look, in all humility... And Moses, with no pride and no con, you know, self-glorification, none of that, Moses just stands there and says, God, you, you're going to have to go through me to get to those people. How about that, Mom? Those babies are asleep at night. You're kneeling down by that bedside praying for them. They're going to do something wrong someday. They're going to get in some sort of situation someday. Could you, with with absolute humility, no pride, no haughty spirit, no wrong attitude. Come on, all Moses cares about is the glory and honor of God's good name. We've seen that. Could you kneel before God on behalf of your children and say, God, 
You're going to have to go through me. I'm not moving. I am staying between you and these babies. Man, we sure talk a lot about preachers falling, preachers messing up, and churches going into apostasy, and false doctrine and heresy getting in congregations. I wonder if our churches had people just stand between God and the congregation and say, Lord, there's people here doing things they shouldn't be doing. There's some people here making a terrible mess out of their lives. But God, your name's on this church. And your reputation is tied to these people. And God, I'm not moving. I'm standing right here in front of you. I am not moving. Don't do it. Don't destroy them. Don't consume them in your wrath. God, stop. So I don't think I could be that bold. You couldn't if I was just making this up. But if God wrote it in the Bible and said, whatever happened back then was for our admonition, how about this admonition? Don't be dancing around a golden calf. But if there's some people in your church that are, and some people in your family that are, and some people in your nation that are, why don't you get between them and God and pray? And plead with the Lord. And ask Him to spare them until they have time to come to their senses. There was a city one time called Sodom and Gomorrah. It was full of men that would lay with men and women that would lay with women. And God found out about such a thing. He got a little fire and brimstone cooking. He was going to burn that place to the ground. And everybody in it. Because he loves... No. Because he hates the sin... And sometimes the sinner. And he told Abraham what he was going to do, just like here he told Moses what he was going to do. And Abraham said, now God, just uh, before you do that, let me get between you and Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me just ask you to stop right there. If you find 50 righteous in that city, will you destroy it? And Abraham's intercession stopped God in his tracks. I'm not making this up. God said, you can find 50, I'll spare it. But I'll bet you 10 to 1 you can't. That's an amplified version. That's it. That's it. And Abraham got thinking about the conversations he'd have had with Lot about where Lot was living. And he went back to God and said, okay, how about 45? How about 40? How about 35? You know, the whole time Abraham's standing there talking to God, God has fire and brimstone loaded. He's got the sights set on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's checked the range. He's set the wind direction. He's got just enough sulfur to burn the entire place and turn it into a slime pit. And Abraham says, what if there's 15? The Lord said, you, you done yet? I'd like to burn that city. Abraham said, you're going to have to go through me. I got loved ones down there. Who you got down there, Abraham? 
Lot. Oh yeah, Lot. Saw him vexing his soul down there. You did, Lord, you did. I saw him down there ruining his testimony with his kinfolk. Lord, you did, you did. But you once justified him, and you said in, in, in Peter's epistle that he's a just man. God said, well, I didn't write that yet. <laughs> Abraham said, yeah, but you're going to. Listen, Lot's testimony wasn't worth 15 cents in that town. But a man that loved him stood between Lot and God and held God's wrath at bay until Lot got out of town. Now it's in the Bible. I'm not making it up, it's in the Bible. You know, sometimes we think of answer to prayer as God doing something. What about the answers to prayer when they kept God from doing something? So I prayed for so-and-so to be saved for 20 years, and they don't seem any closer to being saved than they were. They're not in hell, are they? I prayed for my son. I prayed for my grandson. I prayed for my brother. I prayed for my sister for, for 40 years, and I haven't seen them saved. But they're not in hell. Somebody got hit by a drunk driver last night. Somebody had a heart attack last night. Somebody stepped off into eternity last night. That arrow, that thunderbolt might have been meant for somebody you love and somebody you care for, but there you were. God, please. God, please. Lord said, would you let me alone? No. No. Let me alone that my wrath may wax hot. Not going to do it. Let me alone that I may consume them. I, I got a big blessing for you. Not today, God. Not today. If all I can do for my loved ones is pray, I'm going to stand right here before you and pray. You're going to have to get through me to get to them. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? We want to see God do something. But do you understand sometimes prayer is answered when God doesn't do something? Now let's look at the New Testament for a minute. 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Are you saved tonight? But anybody saved? Just you saved? Few, some of you. Come on, it's not a trick. I'm not setting you up for anything. You saved? Okay. If you're saved, you have eternal security. It's in the Bible. Nothing separates from the love of God. Never leave thee nor forsake thee. Though I'm with you always. All all of that. And that's great. Now here's what he says to save people who can't. Well, in fact, in fact. Um, Get for, don't lose that place. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Verse 8. Who shall also confirm you unto the end. See that? 
So the one that said you're saved will keep saying you're saved all the way to the end. He's writing that to the Corinthian. Church saved people, church of Corinth. Okay, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. You that are confirmed and confirmed unto the end, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, then they've got to be believers. Right? You couldn't say, hey, you unbelievers, don't be yoked with unbelievers. They're already yoked with unbelievers. Correct? He's telling saved people not to be yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? As in what happened in 20,000 churches in America this morning. What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And the obvious answer to all that is none. We're not supposed to be participating in the, in the golden calf stuff. For you are the temple of living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So you are the temple, God is in you, you are in Him, you do dwell together. Right? Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now wait a minute. If you're saved, aren't you a child of God forever? Do you know what he just said? If you touch that, I'm not talking to you. You get involved in that, I'm not hanging out with you. You start playing with that, we're at odds. Now suppose, just suppose for a minute. Well, this will make people be careful. Suppose there was a house. You had a house. It was your house. And you, when you chose your spouse, that spouse came to live with you in that house, and neither of you, you had to spend your entire life in that house. You could never leave that house. And they have children. And they can never leave the house. They have to stay in that house. Now, don't think about the house you've got now. Think of, of a great big house. My father's house are many mansions. That's a big house. If you've got mansions inside a house... That's a big house. New Jerusalem, that's a big house. Mansions in the house. So, but so I said, you're the temple of living God. You can't leave. I can't be out of Christ. Christ never be out of me. I'm in Him. He's in me. Bone of His bone, flesh of His flesh. Eternally. But you do know that if you and the spouse living in the same house That doesn't guarantee you're going to be enjoying living in the same house. Correct? You have kitties and sometimes it's great to have a bunch of kids in the house and sometimes not so great. Sometimes they love mom and dad. Sometimes they'd vote them out if there was an election. <laughs> this house you can't get it. You know what God said? You're my children. We're living in the same temple. You can't leave. I'm not leaving. But you don't quit doing that. I'm not talking to you. You and God, separate bedrooms. You and God eating a different schedule. 
He eats at four, you come and eat five. Why? He ain't eating with you. Come on, that's what he said. That's what he said. So Lord, the Lord looked down on his people, and they're always his, they'll be his people forever. He's going to set up a kingdom, and they're going to be the head of the nation, not the tail. But he said, for now, I'm not talking to you. I'm going to watch you walk around in circles for 38 years, and, and one after another, you'll be tied. Until I get a new crop I can, I can talk to. I'm not talking to you. That's rough. You know, people say in this generation, when the Lord loves me, I do whatever I want. You know, he just, he just, you know, God is love, and he just, all he wants, he just wants me to be happy. That's all he wants. Well, if God just wants you to be happy, how can you be so miserable? Right. <laughs> people say that always griping. Oh, you are telling me? You're trying to make people happy. That's what makes me happy. Well, you're the one cussing and swearing and mad. <laughs> People talk about how God just wants them to be happy. Miserable bunch of people, man. All right, now, how does this thing get fixed up? Well, turn to um, book of Hebrews. We like Hebrews. Present truth for the one body. Book of Hebrews. Chapter 7. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Wherefore, well, 22, but by so much was Jesus. So that's who we're talking about, Jesus. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. See what you have? You say, you got a high priest who ever liveth to do what? Make intercession for them. Now, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Now, why would he say that if, if the relationship wasn't affected by sin? There'd be no point in saying that. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay? So we got an intercessor, we got an advocate. You had a mediator, but you got saved. You've been reconciled to God by the mediator. Now now the mediator has become your advocate, he's become your intercessor. Okay? So, So watch this. I am the Lord thy God, I change not. Correct? Did he, did he hate stealing before you got saved? Does he hate it now? Did he hate dishonesty before you got saved? Does he hate it now? Did, did he hate, just, I mean, just name it, put any sin you want to in there. Did God hate it before you got saved? Well, then he hates it now. So, if as a saved person we do those things, which obviously we can because we all know a Christian who's done them, even if, if we never have. Come on, we know saved people do things they shouldn't do. We know saved people commit sins, and we know that God hates sin. Correct? 
and in the presence of God, this is why you don't lose your salvation. This is why you have eternal life. Because in the presence of God, you have an advocate high priest who says, you're going to have to get through me to get to them. Son, do you not know what they're doing? I do, and I paid for it. Let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against Father. I'm not going to do it. Why would you, why would you need an ever-living intercessor if problems didn't arise? God did not save you for your sake. He saved you for Christ's sake. See, people got to say, well, God just loved me so much. No, He loved His Son so much. Well, God just thinks so much of me. Don't count on it. He thinks so much of Jesus. You are accepted in the Beloved. Without Him, you're toast. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The people, you know, they, well, God just loves me so much. Careful now. If you're not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ, you're finished. And so God looks at me out of Egypt Cross the Red Sea, on the way to the Promised Land, and God said, can you, can you believe that? After all I did for them, they've turned aside so quickly, they're doing that. And, and God the Father, because He's righteous, because He's holy, because He's just, that wrath begins to wax hot. And God the Son steps right between us. You read it. If we have an advocate with the Father, you know why? Because we need one. There's somebody up there pleading for our defense. Because we're really indefensible. And I don't know if God the Father ever says to God the Son regarding Christians, let me alone. But I know this. I know a man named Moses stood between God and a people who deserved wrath and interceded for those people. And God said to that man, let me alone that I may consume them. And Moses didn't move until God cooled down. Repent doesn't mean you're guilty. Not in every case. Repent means a change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. Moses changed God's direction. He's going to consume them. When Moses finished praying, he was no longer going to consume them. Now Jesus does that for us every single day. And we, and we have an opportunity to do that for others every single day. One more place. Come to 2 Timothy.
No, no, First Timothy, First Timothy. Chapter 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings. Okay, now, no. what do you think your present ruler deserves? God would probably agree with you and more. But what did he tell you to do? God told you, how about get between me and that king and hold back my wrath? Well, I don't want to do that because I I hate the king. Yeah, but God told you to do it. See? You said it would be better off for me if that king was gone. It would have been better off for Moses if, if God had made him the head of the chosen people. For kings and for all that are in authority. Well, you know, that preacher, I tell you, I thought he's a pretty good guy, but he did something the other day, I tell you, I just, I don't know why God even even lets that guy keep preaching. And, and you might be right, and God might agree with you. He knows more about me than you do. You think, you got, you got some gripes about me. I bet God got a long list of them. Do you know what he told you to do? Get between God and me. And don't move until I make it safe home to glory. See that? That we, look, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now I've always read this verse and so have you. You know, God controlled the government so, so the church doesn't get bothered or anything else. But how about this? How about instead of you being all bothered and agitated and frustrated and tore up about the, the president's not doing right and the governor's not doing right and the preacher's not doing right and mom and dad aren't doing right and uh, these Christians aren't doing right. You know what the Lord said? If you just get in my presence and start praying for people, you could have a quiet and peaceable life no matter what they're doing. I don't think he said if you pray for your government, the country will never have wars or rumors of wars or disease. Jesus said those things are going to happen. He said, we, who? The people that are praying can lead a quiet and peaceable life no matter what the people they're praying for are doing. You want to get over all your aggravating, aggravation and frustration with why hadn't God done something about him and why hadn't God done something about her? <laughs> Start praying for him. Well, how could that possibly work? God is looking at people dancing naked in front of a golden calf. Moses is looking at God. Moses said, God, where I'm standing, things look great. Where I'm standing, I just... I think you'll just sit down and relax and just enjoy being God. I wouldn't burn anybody up today. 
You don't want people talking bad about you. They they already don't like you. (laughs) I'm not trying to make sport. That's what you just read. Moses turned his back on the disobedient. And he turned his face to God. And he prayed for people who weren't doing right. For the honor and glory of God. Now later in the chapter, Moses is going to get a look at them. And when Moses gets his eyes on those people, then God's going to cool him down. If God and Moses had ever both lost their temper at the same time, there'd be no nation of Israel. It'd be all over. But anyway, I was really, um, I was really challenged in my prayer life by that passage. Because who would be so bold as to think that our prayers could actually stop God in His tracks? But that's what God said. Let me alone. Because if you don't stop praying, I can't do what I intend to do. And Moses said, I will not stop praying for those people. The Lord said, okay, you win. That's what he said. Okay, you win. Isn't that something? Now, last note. You can't pack up because you're not leaving Moses said, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. All through the book of Genesis, God called Isaac's son Jacob. Until the one time he acted in faith and did something right. And God called him Israel. And Moses didn't say, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, God, remember, they might yet surprise you and do one thing right. I know they've been a total disappointment to you up to now, but so was Jacob. And one day you got to call him Israel. And when we go to prayer for those that are out of the way, It might be a husband, a a wife, it might be a son, a daughter, your parents, your brother, sister. You know what you're doing? You are praying to God and saying, Lord, I'm not justifying anything they're doing. But you know, you know that people have gotten right. You know that people have way down the road let you turn their feet around. God, remember Israel. Not Jacob. Jacob wore him out. But Israel believed God. As an old man one time in his life. And Moses stands before the Lord and says, Come on, God. Come on, God. Just just give him some time. Just give him some time. So keep praying for your loved ones. Keep praying for your church. Keep praying for your nation. You say, well, I pray and nothing happens. Maybe that's the greatest blessing of all. Maybe God's answer to prayer is nothing happened. 
That's really something to meditate on, isn't it? Amen. All right. Father.